Hey there, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to another Along the Path episode. I'm Jared, and this is episode 5, part 2, The Eucharist. If you're listening to this one and have not yet listened to part 1, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 5, part 1 of The Eucharist. I had so much that I wanted to talk about and share that it wouldn't all fit in one episode, so I hope you go back and listen to that one first. Part 1 explains the Eucharist's origin and what it means to us as Catholics. Now, in this episode, I'm going to be a little bit more personal and try to explain the Eucharist a bit better, so we as humans can better understand the significance of the sacrament of the Eucharist. So to start off here, I want to talk about relationships, how we can have relationships with one another. When we think about relationships, we can have many different types of relationships. We can have a friend with a relationship, we can have uh, a relationship with a neighbor, we can have relationships with family members, and we can have relationships with our significant other, and of course we can also have a relationship with God. Now, most of the time in these relationships we have feelings for the other person in the relationship, and we can attribute that feeling of love or intimacy in these relationships. Pretty much all of us knows what love is, but there are different levels of love as well as different levels of intimacy. We might love our parents differently than we love our friends at school or at work. We might love our brothers and sisters differently than we love our aunts and uncles and grandparents. But the ultimate goal to love is to find that special someone, that soulmate, and to be intimate with them, right? That is what we strive for as human beings, to find that one person that completes us, to find the one for us. Some people listening might still be searching for the one, and other people that are listening already found the one for them. For those who have already found the one, I want you to think back to your feelings when you were realizing that this person that you're becoming close to is the one for you. When you're searching and you think you found this person that is the one for you, you want to give them all of you. And you love them so much that y'all become married and you give your whole self to this person because of how much you love them. They are the one for you. As human beings, the ultimate way of us showing love to another person is giving your whole self, your body, your everything to this other person and having an intimate relationship with them. But I mentioned earlier that we also have a relationship with God and we can even argue that we love God more or God loves us more than our significant other than the one that we married, or the one that we are striving to marry. God wants to have an intimate relationship with you. But if God loves us this much, how can he give himself to us if he's God? Well, he did. God gave himself to us, his body, in the form of Jesus, and God sacrificed himself for us, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate showing of love that he can portray for us to understand as humans. 
by giving his body up for our slavery, for our sins. He is our the one. Let me repeat that. We are God's the one. The one that he strives to love completely and ultimately. We are the one to God. This is why he sacrificed himself and gave his whole self for us. Because God wants to have this intimate relationship with you. Now when I talk about this, some people bring to mind, Okay, Jared, that's great and all, but Jesus walked the earth roughly, what, 2,000 years ago? And in case you didn't know the end of the story, God's body, Jesus, ascended into heaven after he died. So if God wants to have this intimate relationship with us, and the only way we as humans know how to have an intimate relationship like that is to give our whole selves, our whole body to the other person, then I don't see how when God's body is in heaven, how we can have this intimate relationship. Yes, this is true. However, God knew that this would happen, and God planned for this, because the night before he died, Jesus gave us the Eucharist at the Last Supper. During the Last Supper, Jesus, giving thanks, broke bread and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, for this is my body, my body, which will be given up for you. Take, drink, this is the cup of my blood. The blood that will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do these both in memory of me. Again, Jesus spoke in ways that made what he was teaching easier for us to understand. In those days, your body was also known as your whole being. And... Just as marriage, you give your whole body to your spouse. Also, your blood was considered your life force. So Jesus, when he is telling this to the disciples at the table at the Last Supper, he is saying to take my whole being and take my life force. Jesus gave us the Eucharist, his body, so we can have something today to have intimate love with our God. This is where I kind of want to go back to the last episode where I talked about how some people or even some religions believe that the Eucharist is just a symbol of God being there with the Eucharist and not the Eucharist actually being God, that transubstantiation part. So let's dive into the Bible a little bit here and read a little bit about what Jesus' teaching is about himself and the Eucharist. So I'm going to be talking about the Gospel of John here, chapter 6. A lot of interesting things happen here in John chapter 6. So we're going to start off with the beginning of chapter 6, where Jesus feeds thousands of people with just a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish, and he still had food left over. Then, not long after that happened, everybody was all excited about Jesus making this miracle and feeding all of these thousands of people with such little food that they wanted to see him and they wanted to follow him. So... 
he went away and hide away in the mountains by himself. That evening, the disciples went across the sea to try to find Jesus when a storm comes while they're crossing the sea and the winds are blowing the boat all over the place and Jesus comes to them walking on water. So both of these miracles happened in the same day and I think Jesus deserved a break after that because I mean that's that's kind of crazy huh? for him to do both of those things in just one day. So the next day comes and the crowd of people that Jesus had fed the previous day had made their way around the sea to find Jesus again because he just performed this great miracle for them and they wanted to follow him still. And I'm sure they're probably hungry again because it is the next day and they're thinking that maybe Jesus can feed them again. So this crowd of people catch up to him and Jesus tells them in verse 26 and 27, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So right here, this is Jesus telling them that he will be giving them the food of life, of eternal life. And that what they are seeking is the wrong food. The crowd then begins to understand what Jesus is talking about here. And remembers back when Moses was leading their people through the desert and God gave them bread from heaven. The crowd then axes Jesus to give them that same bread from heaven. And Jesus responds in verse 35 saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then he goes on to say, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So right here, he's talking about the Father who sent him. He's doing the will of God. Now, here in the story, I want to pause and talk about the crowd that Jesus is talking to here. There are three different groups in the crowd. The first group is the apostles, the original 12 that have been following Jesus for a few years now. The second group is what we call the disciples. This is about a couple hundred people maybe that have devoted their lives to following Jesus. They have given up everything that they've known and abandoned their old life and they decided to follow Jesus. And then there's this third group which is the rest of the crowd that was just in the area and heard Jesus was coming to town and there was nothing interesting for them to watch on Netflix that day so they decided to come check out Jesus. <laughs> this was about a couple thousand maybe three thousand people or so. So now that we have the three groups, let's go back to the story and see what's happening. So after Jesus explains that he is the bread of life, the crowd, which is the third group, the large group, began to complain because he said that he is the bread that came down from heaven. They are complaining because they know who Jesus' mother and father were, Mary and Joseph, and they're saying that how can he have come down from heaven if he was human just like everybody else? Jesus hears this and says again in verse 48, 
he says, I am the bread of life. And then in verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, when Jesus says this, talking about his flesh, the third group, the big crowd, start to kind of go a little crazy. Because if you think about it, Jesus just told them that they have to eat him to gain eternal life. They say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? I mean, if you think about it, if someone tells you that you have to eat them, like cannibalism, to have eternal life, I would think that they're a bit crazy as well, wouldn't you? And I love what Jesus does right here. When he sees the reaction of this crowd of people, he doesn't go back on his words and be like, Whoa, no, guys, I'm sorry. That, that's not exactly what I meant to say. Here's, you know, let, let, me, let me explain a little bit better. No, 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 no. He doubles down on what he said and repeats himself five times. In verse 53 through 57, Jesus says, Amen, amen, I say to you. Now, you know something serious is about to go down when Jesus says, Amen, amen, I say to you. Or some versions of the Bible might even say, Very truly, I tell you, or something like that. But every time in the Bible when Jesus speaks and he says this, Amen, amen, I say to you, saying, You know that something real, something serious is about to happen. That Jesus is, is telling you this teaching. This is, this is a real teaching here. So, Jesus says, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 1. For those of you who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. 2. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. 3. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. 4. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. 5. Five times Jesus pretty much repeats himself and puts all the money on the table, if you will, on this teaching. I want you to think of all the other teachings that Jesus talked about in the Bible and find another one where he repeats himself five times on the same teaching in a row. Now, after Jesus says this, the second group, the, the disciples, the, like the smaller group of the crowd, the ones who abandon their lives to follow Jesus, they say to Jesus that this teaching is difficult, and they ask him, who can accept this? And again, I love the response that Jesus gives to the disciples here. He says, does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What Jesus is saying to them is, what do I have to do to show you that God sent me? What do I have to do to prove to you that I am what I say I am?
because he has already performed all these miracles. He's just fed thousands of people and he's just walked on water. So Jesus has this amazing teaching telling people that he is the bread of life and now we need to consume him to have eternal life and that God sent him for us. And the crowd of people, the third group, the big group, and the second group, the disciples, the other smaller group, they don't believe Jesus. And it says in the Bible that many of the people turned around and left him. Now, picture this for a second here. You being Jesus, just giving them the secret to eternal life and telling them what they need to do to have eternal life, and you stand there and watch them in disbelief, and they turn around and walk away from you and leave you. Thousands of people are now walking away, leaving you. This is the only teaching that Jesus did where his followers left him. Think about that and all the many miracles and parables and teachings that Jesus did in the Gospels. This was the only time that people walked away from him because of his teaching. And then after this, I love what Jesus does here again. After he watches all these people walk away from him and leave him, he turns to that first group, the original 12 apostles, and asks them, Do you also wish to go away? And Simon Peter, in verse 68, gives Jesus possibly the best answer he could have ever given. He says, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is Simon Peter professing his faith to Jesus. Now, just think about this. What if the twelve also left him in this moment? Jesus put all of his teachings, everything that he was, everything that he came to do on this moment. Because if the twelve had also left him because of this teaching that he just did, the Catholic religion would not exist. There would be nobody to write down Jesus' work, to pass it down, all of his teachings. So this moment in the Bible is extremely, extremely important, and it gives us the key to eternal life. Jesus did this for us because we are the one to him. Because God loves us so much that the only way he could show his love for us is to give us his whole self. The sacrament of Holy Communion can be taken for granted sometimes. Because when we receive the Eucharist during the sacrament, we are receiving the body, the blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is giving us his whole self so we can know his love. Some people call this teaching the true test of being a Catholic because this teaching separates us from a lot of different religions. Because we as Catholics truly believe that the Eucharist is in full the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our God. My brothers and sisters, I sure am going long on this episode, but as you can tell, the Eucharist holds a special place in my heart. So it took me a while to fully share everything that I wanted to talk to you about. 
I know that I am the one to God. And I want you to know also that you are the one to God. God sacrificed himself for everyone. And God gave us the Eucharist so that he can be the one for everyone. God has shown us how much he loves us by sacrificing himself for us and giving us the Eucharist, his body, so that we may remember him and experience his love today. So this has been another episode of Along the Path with myself, Jared. I really hope you enjoyed this extended part of a two-part series for this episode. And I hope that you have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening.